everybody and welcome to the latest edition of The Reset Show. Absolutely delighted that you could join us today and we are so happy to be back after a little bit of a break over the summer. Back slightly later than we'd originally planned because both B and I have had COVID um, and we didn't catch up with each other. We haven't actually seen each other for, for weeks or months, but um, yeah, we both had COVID so we had to delay the start. But we are back and we are Super excited to be joined by our special guest today, who I'll introduce you to in just one second. But before I do that, um, I just wanted to let you know we're going to be slightly changing the way we run the reset show from here on in. So we've decided to run it on a more ad hoc basis to give us more flexibility, really, in terms of um, guests. Uh, as you know, if you're listening, you can catch up anytime. Um, it's not such an issue if you can't make it live. But obviously, with guests having to kind of have a specific time that we ask guests to join us was was meaning that some great guests we're missing out on. So we're going to carry on running it because we love doing it, and we learn so much from our amazing guests. But what we're going to do is just make it a little bit more ad hoc. So watch this space. So let's get on to today's show then. Um, absolutely delighted to be joined by um, Erica Keswin today. And Erica, for those of you who don't know, is a best-selling author. Um, her first book, Bring Your Human to Work, uh, I like the, the, the subtext here, 10 surefire ways to design a workplace that's good for people, great for business, and might just change the world. Absolutely love that. Um, completely fits with, with what we're all about here. So that, that was her first book. And the book we're going to predominantly be talking about today is her new book, The Rituals Roadmap, or Rituals Roadmap. Um, so really excited to get into that. Um, Erica is a, a, a sought-after speaker. She's a workplace strategist. She deals with, or she works with kind of top-of-the-class businesses, organisations. And I'm sure that um, she'll give you a little bit more background as, as to who she is as we get into the conversation today. So absolutely delighted to welcome Erica. And, and B, over to you. Thank you. Yeah, really, really excited to have Erica on the show today. Absolutely love um, the Rituals Roadmap. So it's a great read. And I know that Katie will share, if you're signed up to the research show, Katie will share details with everything we mentioned in today's show so you can grab yourself a copy as well. Before we jump into our conversation, I just wanted to reflect really briefly on why this is interesting to me. Now, I joined a really fabulous um, agency called Nixon McInnes, based here in Brighton 10 years ago. It was so long ago. It was the time that um, social media was actually called new media, if you remember those days. And Nixon McInnes was really one of the first new media or social media agencies. Now, when I joined, I wouldn't able to, I wouldn't have been able to label many of the weird, wacky, and impactful experiences I had there as rituals. But actually, that's exactly what they were. And just to give you a feel, some of these rituals have actually become quite famous over the years. So um, Nick McKinnis gave birth to something called the Church of Fail which we did on a Friday afternoon with beer. Beer wasn't compulsory. And somebody or a few people would sort of stand up and start. We set up like a church in, in sort of, in, you know, in the, in the columns, I guess, or the rows, if you like. Um, and somebody or a few people would stand up and say what they really balls up that week or that month, what really went wrong for them that, that month. And everybody else would cheer and celebrate and we'd talk about the learnings from that. So that was Church of Fail. And another one of the rituals that became really famous over the years was the Happy Buckets. So this is buckets by the door, you put your tennis balls in to say whether you'd had a good day, a bad day, or whether you had a bit of a meh kind of a day. So those were just a couple of the sort of rituals that were part of this agency at the time next to McInnes. So I said I wouldn't have been able to call them rituals at the time until we were joined by a new team member 
member who specifically talked about creating rituals and these magical happenings at work. And when the agency closed um, sort of five years ago now, he even designed the most moving closing ritual for us, which was amazing. And I, I generally can say that my experience at Nixon McInnes has created some of the, the last, most last long lasting work friendships and memories of work as well. And I'm personally really curious to ex explore what it is about rituals that has created those memories and those lasting friendships for me. So hopefully that's all something that we'll, we'll tap into. Obviously the world has gone virtual in the, for a lot of people, not everybody in the last 18 months or so. So I was really interested in Erica, your book, particularly about how rituals can translate from the physical workspace to the virtual workspace and their role in creating, sustaining, cementing culture. Again, hopefully all topics that we're going to explore. Before we jump into the questions, Erica, is there anything that um, Emma didn't say about you in her introduction that you think we really should know? Uh, let's see. Um, no, I, I think we'll weave it into the conversation. So all, all good. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Let's let's go way back to the basics, shall we? How do you define rituals in the workplace? Right. So when I started studying the, the science of rituals, um, the, the way that it came about is after I wrote Bring Your Human to Work, I um, you know, I interviewed many senior leaders in, in HR culture, line managers, all different kinds of people about how they were creating a more human workplace. And one day I had this aha moment and I saw that while they weren't calling them rituals at the time, you know, as you were saying, when I looked across all these examples, many of them were using these rituals. It was one of their tools in their tool belt to make their employees, the people that worked for them on their teams, their colleagues, mm -hmm. even their clients sometimes feel more connected. And mm -hmm. sort of that was this, huh, this might be something interesting to sort of take a deep dive on to, to learn more about the science of rituals. So what is a ritual and why are we even talking about them at work since many people think about rituals more in your personal life? My definition of rituals has three, three parts. The first is a ritual is something to which we assign a certain amount of meaning and intention. Number two is that typically for rituals, there's a regular cadence. It could be something we do Every morning, I have a personal ritual. I go get my Starbucks and feel the heat on my hands, take a few deep breaths before I start my day. Um, it could be something you do once a week, once a year, um, but there is a regular cadence. The third part was something I hadn't really considered until I started studying rituals, which is that, which is that a ritual is something that goes beyond its practical purpose. So mm -hmm. I'm sitting here in my home office in New York City. If my lights were to go out and I light a candle so I can see what I'm writing, you know, that's not a ritual. But if I light a candle at six o'clock um, every day to signify, you know, the end of the work day and the beginning of my time at home, which for the record is even more important with all of us working at home these days, you know, that's a ritual. I'm not lighting that candle for any practical purpose other than for, other than to have this meaning to help me with this transition. And so just to link it back to the couple of, um, you know, rituals that, that you talked about, you know, throwing a tennis ball, you know, in the, in the bucket, you know, there's no practical purpose per se, but how do you know it's a ritual? People would really miss it when it's gone. And my guess is, um, as you were talking, 
you know, if there was a week on a Friday where that didn't happen, something would feel off. There'd be, mm-hmm. there would be something that felt like it was missing. Mm, I love that. Um, and you've already touched on why um, rituals are important in terms of connection. And I think right now that is so massively important. But why else? Is there a big, is it all about connection or, or are rituals important for other reasons as well? So I don't know. I don't know if you all face this as well, but being in the people space, the human capital space, you know, I, I often will get the, um, oh, it's the soft stuff. And um, may, they may not say it directly to my face, but I know that's what many of them are thinking. And I'm, I'm used to it. But so in my work, both in Bring Your Human to Work and, and the Rituals book, I strive to share not only the stories of rituals, but the science and the what is the ROI? Um, you know, why are we doing it? So the good news is there is an ROI, not just for us personally, but also for our teams. And I took all the science and tried to boil it down um, and created an equation that I call the three P's of rituals. This is what rituals give us. So the first P is psychological safety. Um, mm-hmm. Rituals give us a sense of belonging um, and psychological safety, which is really important, you know, not only today, but, but always at work. Um, number two, rituals give us an opportunity to connect to purpose. And there's a lot of data that shows the correlation between employee engagement and retention and, and a connection to purpose. And you add those two together and you get increased performance. So two, two you know, examples on that. Number one, when we feel more connected to the people that we work with on our teams, and I'm sure, you know, again, as you were giving your examples, Blend in the beginning, um, you know, everybody's up talking about, you know, what they, how they failed that week and, and having these rituals, your oxytocin, that feel good hormone goes up and your cortisol, your stress goes down. And so from a truly a physiological health and wellness perspective, rituals can have an impact on your own personal bottom line. From a work perspective in the book, there are many studies. The one that I love talked about how when you feel a great sense of psychological safety and connection and like you can be yourself on your team or at work, collaboration goes up by 47% and productivity can go up by as much as 50%. So the numbers are real and it does make sense when you think about it, because if, if, you know, I'm looking at six, seven of us on the screen, you know, if I feel like I can be me, you know, right before we started recording, you know, I turned my computer on, I ran out, I was getting my son out the door, you know, making sure he took his smoothie because he hates to eat breakfast and his big soccer game today. You know, if I'm hiding sort of who I am, I, I don't, I, 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 I'm holding back and, you know, we, we just can't work together you know, as effectively versus me being comfortable just sharing who I am both inside and outside the office. Mm. I'm going to come to Emma and offer Emma the chance to jump in um, a little bit earlier than usual, but I just know that there's going to be so much going on for you right now. Put me on the spot, B. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, no, I, I absolutely all really resonating, Erica. And um Something and we've talked about for years is this idea of, of bringing, bringing your real self to work. I mean, you know, one of the things that really comes out of your books, I haven't read the new one yet, but I've read, read the previous one, which I love, you know, is this, is this human piece. And I always wonder, um, so I'm, I'm rambling slightly now, but I'm kind of observing this, this 
we kind of forget to be humans when we cross the threshold of work often and it's sort of like the stuff that even the language we, we speak in right there's some words we use like moving forwards you'd never say that in the outside of work would you you'd never talk about let's moving forwards you know and it's we kind of forget how to be humans and I think that I really hope that one of the kind of silver linings of COVID is, is it's enabled us to be more human and be our real selves and you know all the memes of people with kids behind them and all that sort of stuff and we've all seen that and you know we've, I've, we've all had that experience and I you know I've had that experience myself and shared it many times and saying before COVID I'd be mortified at my 12 year old stood behind me give me a cuddle as she's 13 today and suddenly it's okay to do that and and I always struggled wearing a suit I'm not a suit sort of person I mean you know look at me I'm just I look I look like I borrowed my mum's suit when I wear a suit it just, it's obviously not me and and I, I really hope that we're moving to a place now where we can be more authentic at work and be our real selves and say the things that we probably wouldn't have said before because we worried how we might be judged about maybe whether it's tattoos or piercings or crazy hair or whatever it might be and I just wondered if you've got some views on that if you've seen that clients you're dealing with there's more acceptance for people to be who they really are rather than having to conform to a, a corporate stereotype yeah so a couple of things on that number one I mean I agree with you I we see it all the time now I think our my goal and my collective goal for humanity is to remember that, even though I think we often have short-term memories, um, that when we do go back to the office, I think it will look different and we, and we won't always be on, on Zoom, but I, don't, I hope we don't forget what we saw and the mm. impact that that has. Um, so that's my goal to, uh, for, you know, to keep reminding people. Um, but I will say that the leaders who have been, who have done this, who have walked the walk and not only just, you know, let, you know, the crazy storm go on behind them, but have actually taken it a step further and shared and, and been, you know, I feel like it's a little overused the word vulnerable right now, but truly have said, I may be the boss, but here's what's going on in my life. Many of them, and this is not a statistically significant, you know, sample size, but there are many of, of the leaders that I've been talking to and interviewing on my podcast and just following up from the book, their employee engagement has been higher during the pandemic because of their communications. I mean, I wouldn't even call it a strategy. It just sort of came about that they communicated much more often. They used a variety of different mediums. Um, they told very personal, true stories and you know, one leader really stands out in this category is Bill Konigsberg. He's the CEO of a company called Horizon Media. It's about 3,000 people. And he started a new ritual called the Bill Daily, where he would send out an email to everybody. Um, you know, at the beginning, it was like, let's make sure everybody's safe and dealing with keeping the business afloat. And once that, they got that under control, it morphed into him sharing advice, him talking about you know, real things going on and he said the number of emails that he's gotten about what it's meant, people shared it with their parents. The parents were emailing him. And, and at the end of the day, it was not rock and science. It was about him being human. Yes. So interesting, isn't it? Um, I think in the book, you use language to talk about rituals tying employees to companies, particularly during the pandemic. What is it? What's the tying? What's going on there? What is it about rituals that's creating that space for connection and authenticity, whatever it is? What, what is it about rituals that do that? I mean, tying is such a strong visual image. What's going on? So, you know, part of it is it goes back to that, that, that science that when you have a ritual and 
people do feel that sense of, you know, I, I feel like I'm going to use the word so much, but it really, you know, the, the sense of, of psychological safety and connection and belonging, um, you know, where you have a ritual in a meeting, let's say, and instead of just diving right in, you know, everybody goes around and sort of shares something or um, a colleague of mine at Microsoft joined a new team during the pandemic and a lot of people were new and started a new ritual where um, one person a week shares their origin story. Mm-hmm. And you always get a few eye rolls in the beginning. Oh, you know, am I really going to have to do this? And they did it. And because people didn't really know each other, the stories were amazing. And the way that people would say, oh, I didn't know you were from there. I have a cousin. Like All these connections were made. And by the end, after the whole team went around, you know, I feel like the, the, mo- the person who was the most skeptical, you know, said to her, well, what's the next question going to be? <laughs> so you can't always, the thing about rituals is that it's more of a pull and not a push. So you can't say, okay, like somebody listening to this podcast can't say, okay, well, that's going to be our new ritual. You know, we're going to do this origin story. It worked for this company. And, and it's much more around, um, you know, and this is a question I ask in the book and would love for people listening to think about it. And everybody that I can see on the screen, you could think about it in your own lives and in your own, um, you know, in your offices to say, and I, the, the way that I would phrase the question, for example, like the head of a, to the head of human resources at Chipotle or LinkedIn or a law firm, you know, when do employees at Chipotle feel most Chipotle-ish? Mm-hmm. When do they, you know, very technical, when do they feel most connected? And when I asked that, um, the head of HR's answer was, you know, they feel most Chipotle-ish every day at 10.15 before they open for lunch, which who knew Chipotle actually opens at 10.30 in the morning, um, but they do. If anybody wants a burrito that early. Um, <laughs> and everybody, they've been there since 6.30 in the morning, chopping up the lettuce and making the guacamole, and they all sit down for a meal together. And I got to experience that. So regardless of what, it, of what that ritual is, when, when it's truly a ritual, um, there's this pull, which not only makes um, the tie, it ties people together, but that really is where, where the magic happens. And I mean, you mentioned Chipotle and LinkedIn, and there's some other great examples of organizations and stories of rituals in the book. I mean, loads, so many of them. Is it, I can, this is a bit of a binary question, so feel free to expand on it. But what's interesting is that almost like the rituals rock stars that you mention in the book are those companies that time and time and again show up in those lists of cool companies to work for, great organizational culture. So there is this really strong link between rituals and company culture or corporate culture. Yes. I mean, yeah, 100%. Is it, so I'll ask a flip question to that. Is it possible to have a great corporate culture that doesn't contain rituals of some sort? I'm, I am sure it does, but my guess is like, again, people might not call it rituals mm. and they might be doing it with somewhat unconsciously, but my guess is if I were, I mean, I'll let you know if I find one, but my guess is if I were to have a conversation with them and peel back the layers, they, they are doing ritual like things. And the way that the book is structured is that I looked at rituals around and across the employee experience. So rituals starting at the beginning, rituals around recruiting, rituals around onboarding, when you have meetings, beginning projects, eating together online or or in person, professional development, celebrating milestones. So 
my guess would be that they're doing certain things to make people feel more connected to each other. And it could be service. They give back every year. And, and when you ask that question, you know, when do you feel most, you know, connected? It's probably during those things that tend to happen at a regular cadence. That would be my gut answer to that question. Yes. Yeah, I was really, as Emma mentioned, as in, before we started chatting, we co-authored a book this year on employee experience design, um, which was, you know, a, a brilliant experience. So I was really interested to see that you'd broken your book down into those kind of like life cycle stages, if you like, of the employee experience. And there, I guess, also rituals, co corporate rituals that sort of sit almost at an umbrella, umbrella level or outside of those life cycle, life cycle stages. How do those two interact or how do you dissect the difference between those or does it not matter, they're just all rituals? Yeah, I, I don't, it goes back to when do you feel most, most connected? So I, you know, it's interesting. I think in some organizations there are rituals and when they start to read the book or we have a conversation, they realize, oh, you know what? That is a ritual and almost elevate it to sort of ritual status and talk about it like a ritual and sort of lean into, this is something we do, we've never called it that. Let's actually, you know, formalize may not be the right word, but but let's call it what, what it is. And I think that almost elevates it even more to say, this is important to our culture and, and let's acknowledge that. So I don't think it has to be around a particular life cycle, you know, and sometimes they're very team specific. Some are organization wide and some are team specific. I, I talk about a manager at LinkedIn who, um, you know, during the, before the pandemic, every day at three o'clock, one person would play one song and they would have this dance party. And, <laughs> and the one person I interviewed said, you know, I always wondered every day, was it going to happen? Because they, they never really talked about it, but it was just something their team did. And instead of the, you know, back in the day, the smoke break or the coffee break, that was their, you know, stretch, you know, at three or four o'clock. And, um, and yeah, it was part of their own team life cycle. Fabulous. And in the book, in terms of the very practical step of building a roadmap, the roadmap bit of the book, um, you talk about the first step being to stop and look and see what rituals you already have. Um, and I guess my question is, have you ever worked with an organization where there simply are, are none? Or how do you, as you say, also people might think there are, but if you layer, peel back the layers and take care, what, how do you do that peeling back of layers to find those rituals that, that do need to be taken care of and amplified a little? So, and, and I think that's a, it's an important question because with, with the pandemic and you know, the hybrid revolution, you know, and figuring out this new world of work, our rituals have been upended. So whether you had none or all of a sudden you need to think about new ones, it's an important question to say, where do I start? So one of the reasons why I called the book Rituals Roadmap was about how do we design a roadmap for our team, for our organization, or for us personally. And the place where I like to start is, is trying to link rituals to your organization's values. Um, you know, Emma said she read Bring Your Human to Work and I'm, as she knows and, and others who have read it, I'm somewhat obsessed with, with company values and bringing the values to life. Cheesy as it sounds, you know, mm -hmm. how do we get the values off the walls and into the halls and building rituals around those values is such an amazing opportunity to create that 
that stickiness. So I worked with a company literally last week and um, it's a 15 person company and they decided here in New York, financial services um, industry, that they are fully getting rid of their office. No more office. And instead, they're all going remote, but they are going to come together one day a month to, um, to connect and bring their whole team together. And so they brought me in to talk to them about rituals and to really think about and design what would that day look like? Um, because if you're only coming together one day, you want to do a mix of work and team building and connecting because you kind of have to make up for the other 29 days in the month. Mm. So, um, so I broke everybody up into groups based on what they were saying was important, professional development, team building, and then getting, you know, having some, you know, do, doing some in-person meetings that they would do remote. I didn't call that bucket work because I truly believe that the other pieces are, are just as important from a, from a work perspective. And so I broke them up and I asked that magical question, you know, when do you feel most connected? And the answer was so fascinating, not only for me, but for the CEO. So a couple of all the groups ended up talking about this Friday morning meeting that they had. And I had no idea, you know, what they were talking about, but each group. So I wrote down, you know, Friday morning meeting question mark. And we came back together as a group and we were trying to map out what the day would look like. And I talked about, you know, beginnings and endings are what I call prime rituals, real estate. Like let's mm -hmm. think about what makes us feel most connected to our organization. And let's talk about how we begin a day or a week and how we end. Like it's always a great place to start to bring people, especially in this example where people are only coming together once a month. So I said, so my question is, you all talked about this Friday morning meeting. Um, what, what is it? And this, the, one of the lead, senior leaders was sort of chuckling and he said, um, you know, this was something that we started during um, the pandemic to stay connected. And it's the one meeting on their schedule per week where the only rule was that, they, that there was no official work that was going to be done. So it was, you know, back to that comment I made about the touchy feely and the bond, that kind of stuff. They didn't realize it, but that uh, was on its way to becoming a ritual and something that made them feel connected. And I think everybody was sort of surprised, but the, it was so consistent. And so I was able to help draw that out, link it back to their values and their strategic goals about this new hybrid situation and really make sure that A, it kept going every Friday when they weren't together and kind of elevating the status but also doing it when they come together once a month because it is that much better in person. I love it. I love that. Thank you for sharing practical examples because I think with talking about rituals, it's, it's so easy for it to sort of disappear somewhere into the ether. And so actually having these really practical examples hopefully is um, having people to connect to what actually are ritual or ritual potential in, in their organisations. Can, um, I, can I just jump jump in there a sec, I'm just going to just build on that a sec. Um, Something you, you, you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, um, Erica, was rituals need to be pulled, not pushed. I think that's, that's, that really resonated with me because um, I, I guess I'm interested in this idea of kind of the formal versus the informal. I was just reflecting on my own experience when I worked in-house and when I felt really connected to the organisation, it was probably the more informal that made me feel really connected. And I know sometimes when there's a kind of a formal ritual that sort of 
uh, pushed onto you with the best of intentions you can feel especially us being British right <laughs> even when you were talking about the church of Failby, I was like oh god I'd have hated that you know I would I would have got into it and played long but after I was gone that's that was you know I'm sure I wouldn't but the buckets I'd have been fine with the buckets but how do you how do you manage all of that so that those people that are a bit cynical sometimes they could be a little bit forced and how do you avoid that and how do you make them feel natural and real and authentic so they really are you are benefiting from all the wonderful you know uh, elements you've talked about of having really powerful rituals does that make sense you come kind of come across I, that a hundred percent I would say cool. a couple of things rituals can come from anywhere top down bottom up inside out and if and I urge people not to, you've got to take your ego out of it. So if somebody's listening to this and says, oh, you know, we're going to do, you know, this origin story ritual, or we're going to, um, you know, in the book, I talk about the company Allbirds that has a ritual called 40 at four, where they do push-ups at four o'clock in the afternoon or watch the other people doing the push-ups. Um, you know, that may not work for your culture. And so I think it's a great way to, you know, talk to people about, you know, sharing the science behind it, but then saying, you know, what ideas do you have? And trying to get that that buy-in saying, you know, it is important, especially in this hybrid world, you know, what, what you know, let, let's get advice. I also think if somebody listens and says, okay, you know, we're all going to try this and it's not working, you need to move on. That It can't really be a push. A caveat to that goes back to that example from Microsoft where, you know, if, if at some point with some people, you, you almost need to pull them aside and say, look, you know, this may not totally fit with you, but when you, when, you know, the feedback we're getting and the connection of the team, you know, you kind of might have to suck it up. Um, and, and so it is, it is a balance. I would say that when something really becomes sticky, you know, like that, that example that I gave, Ultimately, over time, even the skeptical people see, mm. you know, they, they, they tend to see the value in it mm. organically and what happens. And if it doesn't, it's time to sort of call it and think about something else. And again, you got to take your ego out of it because not, not everything is going to work for every company or every team. Yeah, I love that. And I think one of the things that really resonated when you, you mentioned a couple of times the food thing, I think that translates across every culture and every organisation, right? And it can be formal or informal. I know in the, in the UK, you know, going to the pub on a Friday lunchtime for so many people. And it's certainly been a big part of my ritual when I was in-house with one organisation. You know, that's what everybody did. And it was, and I, 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 like you said about Nixon McInnes, but, you know, I've still got some wonderful friends in that period of my life. And no small part part of that is because we all go to the pub and there was also a breakfast I can't remember what day it was there was one morning we'd all go for breakfast together so I think the food thing really resonated with me because I'm like that doesn't feel forced it's something we all we all have to eat and it feels like a a, quite an easy way to start to establish a ritual yeah yeah well that's and I'll I'll just add to that because you know the in both books I reference you know the food thing is important and I I love that because it's linked to a well-known study out of Cornell Um, where a professor named Kevin Niffen was studying team performance and what makes one team higher performing than another. And he studied firehouses and firefighters um, when he was getting his um, PhD. His dad was a firefighter. So that's how he grew up hanging out in the firehouse. And the short version of what he found is that the firefighters who were the most dedicated to the ritual of the firehouse meal, sitting around the table, breaking bread, shooting the breeze, kind of just being themselves, it actually correlated with higher performance and those firefighters saved more lives. So you're out for breakfast, you're out at the pub and 
you're, you, you just are much more likely to be open to, you know, not because maybe you're drinking beer, but even in the morning at breakfast, you know, just about being yourself. And, and, you know, if, so if you and I are having breakfast and, you know, we just got into a conversation and you shared like what an awful morning you had, like trying to get your kid out the door. And two hours later, you know, we have a, you know, a client, we have a like really um, stressful client situation and you're not all there. I sort of have a sense that you have faced some things going on and I can step up and say, you know, don't worry, Emma, you know, I got this. I know what you're dealing with. So there is this correlation with bringing your whole self and really knowing each other and, and, and the work. And I think rituals can help facilitate that by, by bringing you together in a way where you're more likely to connect as people. Thank you. Thanks for that. I'll hand back to you now, Bea. I interrupted. Yeah, I was going to ask Katie. I think there was a, a question or two in the chat. Yeah, um, a couple of questions. The first one um, says, can we pop in the study that was referenced where it was 47% increase in collaboration, 50% in productivity. So first of all, we will send out that link to that study to our subscribers. So we'll catch up with Erica and just get details of that so we can make sure that is sent out to everyone who subscribed. And the second question here is, one of the things my company is grappling with is the continuation of the rituals we've established once everyone has returned to the office. What advice or tips do you have? And that's, that's from Donna. Um, I, I just put my email in the chat if anybody wants some of this information as well. Um, so how can we continue the, the rituals? You know, it, I guess I'm not sure, or maybe you can put into the chat, Donna, you know, sort of your own personal, because some people are worried about how do I maintain my own personal rituals um, that I've made at home. And there's some anxiety around the loss of those rituals because now we're going to be going to the office. So that's a, that's a piece of it. Um, you know, from a, from a company rituals perspective, you know, what I recommend doing is, is having this conversation and saying, if we were to look across and around the employee experience from all the things that we began to do over the last 18 months, first acknowledge, this is what our team has been doing, you know, whether we've been doing it formally or informally, kind of like that Friday morning meeting I just referenced, it, it just evolved. So it's kind of noticing how have we been working together and having a conversation with people, you know, which rituals do we want to try to keep? How would we build them in to, you know, coming back into the office? Because it depends on your schedule. You might be in three days a week. Um, you know, you might decide one day everybody stays home and you're all back on Zoom. So I think I would look across the employee experience and identify what those touch points are first. Number two, you know, don't try to do all of them because that might be overwhelming. Think of the ones, ask your team that question. When do we feel most like us? You know, when would it feel totally weird at this point if this one particular crazy, you know, seventh inning stretch at a baseball game, you know, primal scream because <laughs> we're so frustrated, lightning candle, whatever that, whatever you've been doing, which ones would seem that would really, really be missed, I think is a great place to start. And, and the ones that are most aligned with your, with your values and get input from the team, pick a couple, see how it goes, and then go back and have those conversations around it. Um, but linking it to the values and, and getting mm -hmm. that input, 
I think could be really important as you transition back to the office, because there's going to be a lot of stress and anxiety around, because it's, it's changing our schedule and our cadence and our timing. Um, so people might be less open to some of them because some of the other stresses around commuting and all these things are now back. So keeping those channels of conversation open, and this is such rich territory, isn't it, for noticing and dialogue and conversation and using it as a framework to think about what comes next if we come back to the office, when we come back to the office, part in the office, part not. So those dialogues, and I love that question, when do we feel most like us? It's such a... It's an appreciative inquiry type of question, isn't it? About what, when it's good, what is good about it and how can we maintain that? So such a powerful question. Um, we've got more questions popping up as well. Some on the subject of food and the importance of food, which is, yeah, we've talked about the kind of like the free breakfast before. And it's, and, and the, we've talked about the cost of that, which isn't the point I'm trying to make. It's, it's easy to focus on the cost rather than the, the community that you're connecting when you bring people together. I know years ago, I, I, to a, I was talking to a consultancy and the, the CEO of this consultancy was a big believer in slow food and they shut the office down for two hours every day to cook and to eat every day, every day together. That's a huge commitment. That's not going to work in every context. But yeah, yeah, two yeah, hours a day, sure. cooking, sitting down, you know, eating, sharing, sharing bread together was so important for them. Um, and another comment from Donna. Katie, do you want to share the last one with us? What's going on there? Or anything else I've missed in the chat that we need to bring up? Yeah, no, Donna's just replied to um, the last question just to say yes from a company perspective. The benefit of doing these things to increase connection in a virtual world seems clear now, but do we still need them when we're back to the office 100% as my company will be? It's almost like execs believe the value is due to being remote and not this deeper connection that you're talking about. Yeah. Interesting. I, I truly believe, and that, you know, the companies um, that I interviewed in the book were, were doing these rituals when they were in person. And I handed in the manuscript for the book at the end of March in 2020 and thinking, oh my Lord, like what is, <laughs> what's going to happen here with this book? Um, the, the upside was that I actually had time to circle back um, with leaders. So there's a whole chapter at the end of the book about how they adapted those rituals, but they all started when they were in the office. And so um, a lot of the examples and the rationale and that feeling of connectedness really didn't have anything to do with, with being remote. And so what I worry about, and there's a lot of studies also in Bring Your Human to Work, is that when we're all back in the office, we, we run the risk of going back to what we were often doing before, which was being alone together, that we were all in the office and not talking to each other. Now, all I want to do right now is to be in an office and actually see people and go down the hall and have that feeling of normalcy. But again, we all know how soon we forget and we're all gonna, and I worry, you know, Donna, it's so interesting that you raise this because it's making me think, I worry even more that because we got used to being at home and having more time to work out and, you know, be with the kids during the day, all these different things that we were able to do, I worry that when we go back to the office, we're gonna have, some people have even less tolerance for some of this because 
all they want to do is get back home and are not going to necessarily be willing and see the, the benefit of it. So you're really making me think sort of real time, my brain's sort of spinning. Mm-hmm. So, so I, yeah, I'm going to think a lot about this, but, but I push back on the sun. Like there's so many studies in the book I mean, there's too many to even rattle off, but we, when we, it's going to be, you know, we all are talking about the great resignation and there's a huge war for talent. And I worry, and you can say this to your leaders, that companies that don't focus on this, it's not all day. You can have rituals that take literally three minutes. They have to, they can cost nothing and they don't take a lot of time. But if you're not feeling connected and you don't, and we know this, you don't feel connected just by virtue of being in the same physical space. You can almost feel worse um, that if all of a sudden you have these high expectations and being back in the office and you and no one is talking to you and you're passing each other in the hall just to get your stuff done to get home, people are going to quit. And I actually am doing a, a, an event tomorrow at a law firm with about a hundred for one of their women's groups, about a hundred people. And, you know, that they're, they're feeling, they're starting to be back in the office. They're feeling very disconnected. And one of their sort of rising stars just quit. And wow. so if people come back to the office and don't feel connected, and someone taps them and says, you know, I'm going to pay you a little bit more. It's like, mm, might as well leave. I'll feel that connected anyway. So I think um, there's a there's an even bigger risk to not do any of this when you come back because their leaders might be thinking, well, we're just going to get it this feeling of connection via um, osmosis and we're not. So I love that. And I may write an article on it. So email me and I'll, I'll put you in there. Great. We can do it anonymous, anonymous if you want, but it's a really good point. It's important. Great, the, great the great resignation piece is, is really interesting, isn't it? And I kind of like both hate and love the terms. I, I hate when we give something a label, it kind of makes it a thing. But I think from the work that we do, it's such a brilliant opportunity to, I mean, we've always talked about, you know, the retention piece has been a key driver for the work we do in terms of you know, if you don't get this right with your people you're going to lose them but it seems that that it seems like there's a real kind of power shift certainly in the UK that employees just feel loads more like you know I'm mad as hell I'm not going to put up with this anymore like hooray and finally you know people are laughing here at the banks who are saying yeah if you come back to the office though we'll give you a barbecue on the terrace if you're going forget it you just you even know me you know and and they're really sort of you know that they're, they're they're, they're taking action. They're saying, I don't care. You're going to pay me more. I, I've got this different life now and I want to keep hold of it. So I think there's, that's really exciting. I think that's, that's the positive part of it that finally we can kind of say to organizations like get this stuff right. So the rituals and all the other stuff that, that you know, all the elements that we, we work in with organizations, get it right, get it right with your people and everything else will fall into place. And finally, I think we've got a real mandate to do that hope anyway. So I think that's a really brilliant point. So thank you. Thanks for raising that. Sorry, B back over to you. No, just a, an eye on the time. I've got a last question for you, Erica, which is um, you've really touched on a, on a personal ritual with your coffee. Yeah, your coffee in the morning and sitting there in the warmth. Now, obviously, you're a woman that has a phenomenal amount, two best-selling books. You work with some phenomenal clients. You've got some great ideas, you know, which, which we're just touching the surface of today. And I know that you're a mum as well. So what other personal rituals are really important to you? So, um, yeah, my coffee ritual is, is not to be missed. Um, not just for the cat. It's really not about the caffeine. You know, I share a story in the book about how one day I would go and I, I got my, get my same drink every day. And 
I drank it and had this moment where I realized I hadn't tasted it and, you know, felt very productive, got through my whole to-do list, but I was so bummed because I really enjoy it that I hadn't tasted it and had this shift, which is where this was a number of years ago where this coffee routine, I, you know, and I wasn't calling it all of this at the time because it was probably six years ago, became a ritual where I realized it's about being intentional that I would go to get it every day, but was sort of drinking it blindly, not tasting it, bum me out because I really think about that first cup of coffee before I go to bed. And it's just really something I enjoy. Um, during the pandemic, I also started doing, um, one of the things I realized was that I missed, you know, I was with my family. So I would used to say, oh, we need more family dinners. You know, we had family dinners coming out of our ears, which was great. Um, but I, I, but I missed like my, my friends, my girlfriends, and I couldn't see anybody. We were, we were quarantining outside the city. And so I started a new ritual where I would go for a walk, um, twice a week with, you know, with a friend, um, in Colorado and good old fashioned phone, no video. And we would, um, just go for a walk and, and connect. And it was, it was actually, I got two for one because I got my steps in and I connected with this friend and, you know, we continue to do it. And it, it, then it just, it was something like, I, just like I asked the question, you know, what makes you feel most connected to your company? Mm -hmm. I would also tell people to ask the question for themselves. What do you do in your life that makes you feel most like you or your mm -hmm. family feel most like your family. You know, we have Taco Tuesday. Um, you know, I just dropped off two of my kids at college. So now there's only one kid I'm feeding tacos to, but Taco Tuesday, I have my Pilates class at 8 a.m., which during the pandemic, I could have done it at any time during the day, but I kept it at eight um, because there was that sense of that cadence and that sense of, mm. of connection. So start mm. with what makes you feel like you. Thank you. And I know from my experience as well, the fitness class that I used to do face to face and then it went online and they were all on YouTube. But I would always do the live online version of the class, not the YouTube right. ones. It was a sense of connection. It was that sense of other people doing it. And it was that was the time that I did it. And it, it became massively important to me. So um, it's interesting. Yeah, these things that take on a it's the intentionality and the noticing around it, isn't it? So you can drink a cup of coffee and not notice it. But as soon as it's a ritual and you give it that space and you think about it, it becomes more meaningful and has a, has a bigger impact. I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation we've had today. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, thoroughly recommend the book to anybody who's, who's listening or, or watching after today. So um, I will um, just sign off from my end and I'll hand over to Emma. But from me, Erica, thank you so much for joining. Thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much. Thanks, B. And yeah, likewise, huge thank you, Erica. Absolutely fascinating. Fascinating. We could talk for hours on this. You've certainly kind of got me thinking about this this topic. And uh, yeah, just really interested to find out from other people what their personal rituals are. I'd love, love to hear more about that. So massive thank you for, for giving us your time. Really appreciate it. OK, talking about rituals, um, next show. So the next show, we've got um, a really fascinating session, which is on how to unearth purpose and measure the impact so it's kind of a practitioner uh research show with thomas 
Uh, nudge, did I say that right, B? Nodge. 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 I knew I'd get it wrong. <laughs> Thomas Nodge. Apologies, Thomas, if you're listening. Who is from Crown Wide Group. And he's been joined by a previous guest of ours, Sam Knowles from Insight Agents. And along with uh, our very own B, they worked on a, a fantastic piece of work on, on, on purpose and impact of purpose. Um, and it was so good. It won uh, an international internal comms engagement award um, for the groundbreaking work. And um, yeah, so really looking at some real life practice, which is always really, really interesting and useful. So make sure you join us for that reset show. Hope you can join us then. And um, thank you as always for listening. And we'll look forward to catching up with you soon. So take care and goodbye.